Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 583 with a review of 1917. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, um, we are talking about a film that'll be out in a few, I guess, now it's like we're basically the end of the year. So this will be out in about a week, two weeks. Yeah, I think Christmas. So yeah, in like oh, yeah. A, depending on your editing speed, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll be out in like... A week, a week or two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So this is coming out soon. We were lucky enough to see 1917 at an early screening um, here in the Bay Area for like a special SF film screening. Um, Sam Mendes, uh, Roger Deakins, yeah. the cast, like a, a bunch of people were there. So it was kind of a cool um, experience to see it there. Um, but yeah, we're going to put this episode out now um, and uh, hopefully... Maybe you guys see this movie later. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so 1917 is a war film. If you've seen the trailer, you might be thinking like, oh, this is not just like Saving Private Ryan. Uh, but one special thing about this film is that it's presented as one single continuous take. Um, obviously, probably didn't do this all in one take. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's how we are watching it as the audience. So Stephen Miller... Um, what are your thoughts on kind of one take type films that attempt to do it at all, um, or even in general, just like long takes as they're sort of becoming popularized now? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a fan. I definitely am someone who like it, it isn't a gimmick necessarily, but it could be presented as gimmicky. But even if it is, I kind of eat that gimmick up every time like it, yeah. it works for me i mean you historically had victoria on your best of the year list <laughs> yeah which was a literal one take movie uh, so we, we both know that that kind of thing works i think what I, what I like about it like i was a big fan of birdman was a big fan of the revenant which had long takes like this as well yeah um and even movies that i didn't totally love like specter uh before i loved the long tape opening right so i, I think i'm kind of a sucker for that uh it definitely does a good job of kind of thrusting you in the movie in a very weird way. Like, it takes a few minutes to adjust, but I think, yeah, I I like it. I guess I don't know enough about filmmaking to really grasp the why of it being difficult. Like, I get it intellectually. It's difficult because fewer things can go wrong. Like, you have, yeah. le- you have less places you can cut. Um, but even though I don't, like, it isn't that I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is really difficult to do, but it does feel more like a high wire act when you're watching it, right? Like things yeah. just kind of feel more momentous. And that's true even when they're not action movies, right? Like a long take argument in Before Midnight or something. Like it works better for me when it's one continuous take because I really feel like the ebb and flow of the character's emotion. So yeah, yeah. yeah I'm I'm a sucker for the long take. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. As you said, I had Victoria on my uh, end of year list uh, the year that that came out. Um, I think it is really cool. It, I, I think... If it's working flawlessly, you should theoretically, like, think five minutes in, like, wait a second, there hasn't been a cut yet, has there? Like, it should be theoretically invisible. Yep. Obviously, in certain situations, like, it's impossible for it to be invisible, right? Like, you know, you're like, you're like, this is intense, this is not breaking, like, in, in those motions. Yeah, I I really like the the sort of play of it in, in things like Birdman. It was very front and center. It was not invisible. It was like purposefully in your face. And it was sort of like a, uh, it felt 
um, it felt a little like showing off, but like in a good way, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like we're we're yeah. doing this but very showy. Like the camera yeah. is like leaping from the balcony to the floor and stuff. Like it, yeah, they were having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and in that story, they are putting on a play, and when you watch a play, there are no t- there there, yeah. there are no cuts in a play, right? So like it's it's doing so it's playing with the medium that it's being presented in. So that's like a little bit different. Something like this, though. I mean, this when we talk about like sometimes it's hard to tell how difficult things were like. This is a wide-spanning film that takes place over, like, a far distance. Yeah. So it's not just – like so a lot of um, one-take films um, – I mean, Victoria was kind of crawling around the city and doing different things. Um, but things like uh, Silent House, mm-hmm. right, that's, like, one contained place. Even Birdman was mostly contained around yeah. the place that they were presenting this play that they were putting on. So I think that sometimes – you can restrict somebody down and do it as a one-take thing, but the spaces there are limited. This is like a far expansive reaching thing that um, <laughs> it definitely seems like incredibly difficult. Um, yeah. In the Q&A that we saw, we heard about some of the scenes which don't feel difficult, which were incredibly difficult yeah. um, with like sets that are coming apart and moving just so that yeah. a camera can pan. I, I have to way. wonder how much editing is done in post in that like, there are probably like wires and people and stuff that they need to erase afterwards, right? Like as it spins 360. Yeah. Like the whole time I was watching this movie, I was like, I need the Blu-ray of this right Mm -hmm. now. And it better have like 50 hours of behind the scenes stuff because I want to see everything. It's a real time documentary of them making the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like I I, I had sent you uh, a clip of sort of some of the camera stuff that we're doing um, with the film. Once I, when I first heard that this is going to be single take film and i think honestly that was when i got the most excited to see it because before i was like you know one movie around christmas time could be cool and then when i heard it was one take i was like i am so in this better be great yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah so should we get into it sure all right we're going to take a listen to the trailer for 1917 and then we're going to come back and give you guys a review in your own time gentlemen must be something big if the channel's here You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion? Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. Stay, please. 
if you don't get there in time. We will lose 1,600 men. Your brother among them. Good luck. All right, so 1917 is the story of two soldiers in World War I who are basically tasked with going across no man's land uh, and trying to deliver a message to a division of the military who is about to attempt a attack against the Germans. And um, basically, they're worried about it being uh, basically... We have intel that says this attack they're about to do is actually a trap and the Germans really aren't on the run. So we have to deliver a message to stop this attack from happening to try to save 1,600 lives. Uh, Stephen Miller, what did you think of 1917? I, so my overall impression is quite positive, but I'm conflicted about the why of 1917. So here, here are a few things. I, I haven't yet really formulated like what my <laughs> final verdict on the movie is yet. Um, a, off the gate incredibly technically impressive like a huge technical achievement i i think the one take aspect works extraordinarily well uh, for at least the vast majority of the runtime there's one scene involving a body of water that i made me feel more hardcore henry than i wanted to um <laughs> but but for the for the most part i feel like the movie does a really great job of having this this one take aesthetic without pulling a Birdman Lubeski type thing where it's like, let me flaunt it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, uh, Joanna actually mentioned there were times when she watched the movie that she like completely forgot it was one take and it was only in the Q&A that she was like, oh yeah, that was, this is the one take movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it was done in well enough that it doesn't feel like it's blinding you with it. Um, it helps that there are a few things in the movie that keep it from having just a kind of constant frenetic pace. You know, they, they manage to find times to slow down. And in the slowdown times, it becomes a much more of like a, like almost like a Linkletter movie or something where they're just like walking and talking, right? Yeah. And it, it feels real time, but not in that kind of pulsing, like I can't escape this situation way. Um, so I like that a lot. I feel like the the movie as the trailer pitched was much more intense than the movie that I got. I was kind of expecting to see a full-scale war, everything going to hell, you know, in this very realistic mode, kind of like um, like Son of Saul did for the Holocaust. Like I like something that was just going to be like brutal and claustrophobic, and you are stuck in it, and you're seeing this whole recreation of the world. And it, it has that in small bursts, but for the mo most part, this movie isn't about that. This movie is about like the quiet moments of a character, and what does it feel to be in this like broad expanse of no man's land fighting a war where the the reasons for fighting aren't even that obvious anymore and the dynamic isn't quite as like glorious as it feels when people just show you edited versions um, yeah. so the movie's doing something different than what i was expecting it to do um i think the actors go a long way in making it uh good i mean george mckay like we loved true history of the kelly gang i feel like between this and kelly gang he's really like building up a a record of being a great physical actor, like being someone who can just like carry a kind of 
daunting physical task and yeah. be the character to whom things happen. He kind of reminds me of like Jack O'Connell during the like startup and 71 streak where he was just this like brutally kind of like exhausting. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. you watch him get exhausted and like he just takes on so much. Um, I, I feel like he really does a good job anchoring the movie. Uh, Dean Charles Chapman also is great. It was taking me forever to realize where I'd seen him before. Did you figure it out already? I don't think so. Uh, he's Tommen in Game of Thrones. What? Yeah. Yeah, he's Tommen. So that's where... Because Joanna and I were trying to figure out after, like, is it like Harry Potter or something? Like, where have I seen it? But no, it was, it was Game of Thrones. Huh. And almost definitely nothing else you've seen. So I'm yeah. pretty sure it was that. Um, yeah, so they're kind of the two key anchors in the movie. Other people that are seen in the trailer, famous people, they kind of just show up and then leave. And it, to me, it would have almost been better if they weren't famous faces, because that kind of removes the illusion that you're just wandering through an actual World War One hellscape. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but overall, like I thought it was, I, I thought it was good. I was I was impressed by the achievement. There was just there was something about the total journey where I. I felt like I wanted more, either more of an emotional through line or more of like the crazy intensity. And they kind of took a risk by going this more reserved, restrained, like soulful take on the material. Yeah. And maybe upon second viewing, I would like appreciate that part more. But at the moment, I wanted like a little bit more popcorn than I was getting. So, hmm. yeah, that's kind of how I felt. Um, well, I definitely apparently like this movie a lot more than you. <laughs> um, I thought this film was phenomenal. Um, I mean... If you look back at our top tens, I had Dunkirk as my number one the year that came out. And one of the things, like, I'm, I I would not call myself a war movie buff. I'm not the biggest fan of war films. But if the war film does something to put me in a state where I'm, like, experiencing war through a specific, like, lens and feeling the war as opposed to just seeing it, um, I think that's really compelling to me. And I think that in uh, one of the masterful things that Dunkirk did is, like, put you in this state of, like how sudden and shocking war can be where like soldiers are just walking and then there's a hail of gunfire and everything's crazy and everything's yeah. going to hell or moments where like everybody is just done with the war but they're stuck on this beach just sitting ducks right and there, there's these moments where it's putting these individual pieces of moments of war and seeing uh the strain of what somebody goes through to try to survive these moments and it just dunkirk was like just amazingly compelling to me this film is sort of like it does what the emotional and um, auditory experience of Dunkirk is mm -hmm. for the aftermath of war and people like just just these soldiers going through no man's land and seeing the result of war is almost more intense than seeing what that battle would have looked like. Like normally, if you watch like you know Saving Private Ryan, the most like, incredible, like, striking war imagery of Saving Private Ryan is the opening where they storm the beach and just people are getting obliterated by gunfire and you see an explosion, you get the ringing, and somebody's, like, carrying their arm or trying to hold their intestines in. And it's, like, that's shocking. But when you see just the ground obliterated mm -hmm. and just bodies laying everywhere or bodies that have been soaking in a river for a long time and just floating there and yeah. seeing this, like, aftermath math, and watching these soldiers go from, like, resting <laughs> to alone on this obliterated battlefield where they don't know what's going to be coming next just was... It, it was not shocking, but it was, it was a very 
almost beautiful, mm-hmm. like the set designer in this should win all of the awards. Oh, yeah. Like, and I, I believe this movie deserves all the technical awards yeah. it can get. It's like, this is one of the most, like, just, like, I would watch just the real time walking through the sets with no actors, <laughs> and I would still think this is an incredibly compelling film. Yeah. Um, I think the, my only, my my only downside on the film is that I saw the trailer, because there were things where I recognized set pieces where I'm like, okay, well, this is where this is going to happen, and this is where this is going to happen. But it still didn't draw me out. Just watching these these two characters kind of go through this experience and try to have their their own conversation amidst just walking and seeing what's happening. And then, like, these moments of violence that happen or these moments of intensity really took me on a journey that, like, I was just – I was literally along for the ride, and yeah. I I loved every second of it. Um, just the emotions of it, the, like, awe of what I'm seeing on the battlefield and kind of everything about it. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's great. And I can definitely see that. Like, Joanna had the same experience. I seemed like I, I was alone in – and and again, I, I still really liked it. It was just like, I, I had my expectation up here for the podcast audience. I'm putting yeah. my hand high. <laughs> and then where it hit, like, move the hand just a little lower. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it, too, is, again, it's about expectations. And I think the trailer has something to do with it, where... I, I was set up for a kind of like brutally realist look at war, and I think what I got instead is much more dreamlike than than I was expecting. Like you mentioned, it being beautiful, right? Like them walking through these vast open spaces with bodies and everything, and then there yeah. are there are events that happen with vehicles and stuff that the if if you had your realist hat on, you'd be like, this feels like an improbable situation that occurs. But if you if you take it as like a play or something instead as being a kind of like impressionistic walk through what it means to be at war, yeah. then I think it's a whole different movie. So I, I I will fully like like allow for the idea that if I saw this movie again, I would be like, holy shit, this is my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. Um at at the moment I'm I, I was trying to figure out what it was that wasn't a hundred percent landing. Well so th- so if I can Make us if I can make assumptions and put mm-hmm. words in your mouth that then you can spit out if you don't want yeah. to. So in, in the Q and A, Sam Sam Mendez was talking about the idea for this story came from stories that his grandfather told him about the war, and not specifically of all the stuff that we would learn, but these moments of subtlety and these moments of coincidence and these moments of almost death, where like there was no this wasn't an expected outcome it was like a sudden thing that happened and this is the story that you get out of it mm-hmm. and the story is not grand necessarily it's just we went to piss in a river and then that's where the germans were drinking or whatever <laughs> like you yeah. know like that that's not a scene from this film but like things like that where it's just suddenly you're in this situation and i think that that is not this film is about the idea of situations that happen in war that we aren't told because they're not the glory story that we hear. Mm-hmm. They're little moments of quiet experiences. And I think that really came through for me watching this where I was like, that's what I was – when it started, I didn't care about you know a guy going to warn an army that his brother was in because I don't care about that. Like I don't need Tom Hanks there telling me yeah. that what we're doing is noble or whatever. <laughs> Like, yeah. I, I'm i happy with just this story of these two guys who are, like, sort of friends but haven't known each other for that long. Like, mm-hmm. they're sort of just companions in this war. Um, and that was extremely compelling. But I never cared about the, quote, story of this yeah. 
or what the trailer promised me because I was just like, holy shit, like what I'm looking at is in like odd, odd, awe inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Is it inspiring? It's odd. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, it, and, and, and I definitely get all that. And it's funny because we're kind of flipping our usual roles here, right? Like you're, te- you're telling me about how the, the plot didn't matter that much to you because you were just so immersed in the feeling of the movie, yeah. which is my bread and butter usually. I, and, and, and that feeling was there. Like there are, there are moments of genuine awe throughout this movie. I think the, the opening stretch is pretty breathtaking, just watching yeah. them move they flow through scenery in like a continuous way and all of a sudden you just realize wow they are nowhere near where they began and i've been walking with them every step yeah, right? yeah. and the the way that it changes from scene to scene and they have they they have very clever tricks for getting around that like they go through things and stuff like that in a way that allows that trick to work on you yeah. a little bit better um but that is like incredibly compelling um yeah there, then, there, there is too like not not to interrupt but there's a shot, there's a section of this film where the only light is a raging fire in a building yeah. and flares, uh, lighting flares, yeah. whatever that, that type of flare is. And it is, it is the most beautiful thing I've ever I, seen. I was about on to film say ever. that all of that stuff pales in comparison to the night photography to yeah. me in this movie, which is just absolutely beautiful. Like Roger Deakins lit the hell out of this movie. And it, it is so clever the way it gets by with natural light or at least with the appearance of yeah. uh, not not natural but you know natural like, in the context of yeah, war yeah, yeah like <laughs> diagenic light or whatever you would call it like yeah. like it's like in the context of the movie um it that's all breathtaking right there there are scenes here that are really really powerful and there's the movie kind of feeling wise it's very different but if you were to like draw the arc of the movie and overlay it on fury you would have a kind of similar trajectory (laughs) and there's a moment in the middle that both of them share like a very kind of similar moment of rest that they have that i thought was just extremely beautiful in this movie like i i loved i loved when this movie took time to pause and relax and reflect like i thought that was great there there was just something about the driving rhythm of the movie when it was trying to pick up to the action that's when things got a little bit more convenient and they felt a little bit more video gamey to me than i would have liked you know that there, there, there are moments in this movie where someone has to get from point a to point b and it's like how are we going to do it and you can almost see them like looking at the map and then tracking the moves they're going to have to do to get there yeah and things like that when they happened i just felt like a little bit taken out but then they would always be followed by a moment of intense beauty so i, I don't Normally, I'd be able to look past that and only feel the beauty and be raving. But this time, it was just... I, I wanted, this, like, perfection, like, complete perfection from this movie. And instead, I feel like I got, like, 85% of the way there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that that was how I felt in the end. But amazing, anyway. I, I So I mentioned The Revenant before, and I think that's, like, an interesting comparison here because... It was funny, they never mentioned that in the Q&A when they were talking about long-take movies, and I think it's because, among other things, that is another long-take movie where the scenery changes a lot, and it is very vast and expansive, and yeah. maybe they didn't want to acknowledge that those well, movies exist. So, um, so I, I do think that, if you do compare those, mm-hmm. one of the things that they were talking about in the Q&A is that their goal was not to treat the continuous camera as though it were a cuttable camera right don't bounce back and forth yep. between people in conversation the camera should always always be on a steady cam and it should always be like moving through the scene as though it can observe everything yep. not changing point of view mm-hmm. and revenant 
is the opposite yeah, of that. Yeah, Revenant is very POV. Yeah, movie. Revenant, there's a lot of scenes where, like, that was one of the things I complained about in it, is, like, there were scenes where, like, you could feel it doing, like, whip pans so that it could cut there, mm-hmm. or, like, somebody throws a thing in the sky and it looks up and follows the body down, and there's, like, a bunch of things where it was, like, too stylistic yeah. and not naturalistic, and I think that... I don't know if they were like subtly trying to pretend that doesn't exist or if it was like they didn't want to call that out as being the thing they were trying to right. not do. Yeah. So Yeah, be- because that does make an interesting comparison and I think the 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 benefit of the overstyled POV way of shooting is you get a much more kind of the emotions are more intense and intimate, like because you can suddenly be in Leo's point of view, right? And you can be just a hundred percent focused on how he's feeling in the moment. Yeah. And I think there's an exhaustion to watching The Revenant, this feeling that like you have survived something and come out the other side. That this movie is not trying to do. This movie is trying to be more like a a walk through memory and portraying this is the this is the experience of a day in the life in this place, but it isn't the same kind of like intense journey that you feel like you survived by watching. Yeah. Um, and, and, and those are just the differences to me. And so I think maybe if I like were to rewatch this movie with my expectations tuned in the right direction, I would get more out of it than I did. Yeah. I, I think too, for, for me, I think that there are, there are different journeys that I go on through this film um, where at the first it's just the the shock of what I'm seeing from the environment that they're in. And then it's the building of the camaraderie between the two soldiers. Yeah. And then as they get closer to the destination and the time that they need to hit to be able to fulfill this mission, yeah. it becomes the story of somebody caring deeply about something they technically don't have to care about, right? These These two soldiers were not amongst the people who were going to be storming this certain area on this one battle. Yeah. So even if everyone there is massacred, th- they're not there. They're not part of that. So they're they're risking their lives to send a message to troops that aren't them, yeah. who not everybody even agrees with the intelligence that they have that says this is a trap, right? Mm-hmm. Because every, everybody who is fighting in these forces is excited that... Um, the Germans are pulling back and that this is their chance to like, we, we got them on the run, <laughs> right? So there is like, I don't know, there, there's this incredible journey of the weight of the journey for the character yeah. versus the the overall war and the journey that we're going on as an audience. And it becomes more and more heavy as they, they approach the mm-hmm. time in which this battle that he's trying to avoid is supposed to happen. Yeah. So there's there's... I don't know, there's something very, like, the the weight shifts from being uh, a a view as a whole of the battlefield to a view as the whole of the soldier. Yep. And seeing them, their desperation in trying to accomplish this one thing becomes this, like, glory yep. type of story as opposed to these soldiers doing a thing they don't even want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it becomes about the... It's about the small moments, and I think what what separates World War One from other wars that movies have fixated on is, at least in the like U.S. centric version, and I understand Europeans kind of like scoff when I even mentioned the U.S. being in World War One because it was such a small part of our life compared to in mainland Europe. Yeah. Um, but one thing that defined that war is it was just 
kind of a brutal deadlock, right? It was the trench warfare for years and years and years, and it wasn't set about by some grand theme of we need to protect this. It was set about by a chain reaction of like different allegiances forcing this thing to happen that nobody really wants to happen. And I think what that brings with it is a kind of feeling of meaninglessness in like whatever I do is just going to be a drop in the bucket in this thing that doesn't move, right? Like they talk in this movie about how they've been fighting over a few inches for years, right? And there's that just feeling of like, why? Why is any of this happening? And I think yeah. the the journey that the main characters go on here, to them, it is a pivotal mission that has like a, a human connection. Like there's a there's an emotional reason that they need to solve it. And to them, this is life or death. This is everything. But then in the context of the broader war, it's like this drop in the bucket. Like it's one communication among thousands probably that happened, you know, weekly. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting... It's interesting that it manages to show both sides of that because without, I don't want to spoil the ending, but there's, as the events approach and those scales start to tip, it's interesting to think about like, what is the real effect of this, this message and what, what would other people say about like the heroics of it? Would anyone even know or understand, you know, it it becomes so much more about the intimate mission of one person doing their job yeah, and then the end right like yeah, yeah. well that's another day <laughs> time for day two yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the other thing too and this is not this is not anything that this film is trying to do it but to, to do specifically but it's a it's a funny thought that i had over the course of this film that like we it's so hard to conceive of the technological difference in our lives now versus then at the time like yeah. this is grab two soldiers and have them do this stupid thing mm-hmm. to try to essentially accomplish a text message. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's just the, like the, the, yeah, the two thoughts that I have is like, it's so crazy that like you could have such large scale uh, missions where you have to fucking deliver stuff by paper, by hand mm-hmm. to the front lines of war to decide what to do next. I have a I'm, question about that. Was paper and ink waterproof in, in I, 1917? I definitely, like, <laughs> I can't, I can't, yeah, the, I can't say what I want to reply with yeah. you with it because I don't want to talk spoilers or anything, but there, there's definitely a sense of, like, man, I mean, maybe it was, like, crayon or something, like, something written in, like, a waxy substance that water won't remove from paper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there's definitely, soldiers get wet a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so some extremely <laughs> yeah um but yeah anyways uh so so yeah the one thing is like communications over great distance and the second thing is like how like every once in a while you'll you'll hear stories in the news about like friendly fire incidents and stuff like that um or there'll be movies where there's like tribunal things talking about like friendly fire among soldiers and it's so, like back then how was there not just friendly fire constantly? Yeah. Like, the only way you know who the bad guy is is because they're in front of you. <laughs> yeah, I, and there's a great scene in No Man's Land and kind of when it's getting a little darker that really hammers that home. That yeah. feeling of, like, having no idea whether the person approaching you is a friend or foe. Yeah. Which is mind-boggling to think like, about. There, there's times where, like, in this story where we're following these two characters and somebody's like... I'll check the front and you check the back. And I was like, no, mm. like, don't do that. Yeah. 
go the same way. <laughs> like, don't try to be at opposite sides of something that you're scared there might be enemies in there because yeah. how are you not going to shoot each other? Like, it just, it, it felt, it just, I can't, it just seems so crazy. Like, it's one thing if you're like, you know, <laughs> like colonial times and like the British are wearing bright red uniforms, mm-hmm. right? Like, sure. Like, we're all in rags and they're all in like yep. bright red uniforms. I know who I'm supposed to shoot, but yep. like, <laughs> but it just seems crazy at a time where it's like everyone's just covered in mud, don't know what's going on. There aren't street lights everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, the, I think that the thing that I have to ask too is like, in in that moment when you're in no man's land and I'm a German soldier and I see someone who may be another German or may be one of the Allied forces, what what is compelling me to want to shoot? Because it isn't that I feel in danger. Is it that the duty of war is like so overwhelming that like you will you will do this even when you have no idea what threat is posed, when yeah. no one has to know that you did or didn't go for it? Like it, it's interesting to think about like what drives the individuals to behave when they're not in a group on the front line anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I, I assume there's lots of people that just ran the other direction. Yeah, <laughs> like whenever there's things to storm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I just found so much of this film compelling on so many different levels that uh there's just so much to enjoy in it <laughs> yep i really want to i never caught the peter jackson documentary they shall not grow old i really want to watch that in comparison to this movie because that's another like world war one suddenly being made very like beautiful and visual yeah. I, I feel like that would be really interesting yeah definitely worth a watch i haven't seen it either mm-hmm. um so I'll have to give it a look. Yep. But we know it's not in one take, so. (laughs) (sighs) I know. Um, But, uh, yeah, should we get to verdict, Stephen? Sure. All right. Stephen Miller, if you were going to give this a must-see, a record with a caveat, wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Just to register that I had things I would have liked more of, I'm going to give it a strong recommend with a caveat. Um, I mean, this is a amazing technical achievement. It it looks beautiful. The set design is amazing. The fact that they pulled it off is crazy. The caveat is, I I think this is straddling the line of being a few different types of war movies, and I never quite clicked into which one it was. So if if you are expecting a Dunkirk, a ticking clock that will just grow more and more intense until the moment of conversion. This is not going to satisfy that itch. Sam Mendes is doing a very different thing with this movie. Um, I, I think that's super admirable. It just you should know going in that this might not be the the nonstop thrill ride that the trailer when the camera zooms out and George McKay is running through the numbers nineteen seventeen. Like, <laughs> know that that is not the tone of the majority of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will say though, like I, I kind of said this earlier. I do, I do feel like this. It, this film is. When the clock stops ticking at Dunkirk, mm-hmm. this is the film that we're watching, right? Yeah. Like it feel it feels like it's the opposite end of that coin, mm-hmm. and I think I love it um, for what it's doing opposite of Dunkirk. It feels like a good companion in like they both build this sense of dread, but in a different way. Dunkirk is the we know what the powder keg is about to go off, and we're just wondering when it does. Yep. And uh, nineteen seventeen is. It's done, gone off, yeah. and we are traveling through the remnants—not <laughs> remnants, but the remnants—of yep. of that 
Battlefield. Um, but I'm going to give it a must-see. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. And uh, everyone should see it this Christmas, because it's a good, cheery Christmas movie. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, yeah, Stephen Miller. If people want to find you that the week, where can they do that? Uh, people can deliver parchment to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning, or instagram.com slash thespoilerwarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to 1917, which is the film that we just reviewed. Uh, so yeah, that is this review. We're going to take off. Um, we're going to have some more reviews of some things coming in the feeds. And uh, then in a few weeks, we're going to have, uh, after we get back from our Christmas vacation, we're going to do our big year-end recap. So stay tuned for figuring out what we thought of uh, 2019 in the yep. year of films. Um, and yeah. no, well, I guess we're not going to try to squeeze a decade in there, too. That might be too much to, to push we'll, for. We'll see. That one, at least, we could... We'll, we'll do the normal recap, and then yeah. we'll see how we're feeling. Maybe decade banter at the beginning or the end. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I still, like, we've been doing the podcast long enough. I made a joke the other day when somebody asked us if, if we were going to do the decade episode. I was like, we could just take our number one from the last several years. But we weren't doing well, recaps Well, it'd be fun to revisit year. how we feel about our number one from the last yeah, decade. that is true. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, that would be interesting. It was like sort of a bracket system where it's like yeah. we can only do things we have actually ranked. But then, yeah, like I said, we didn't, we didn't, we weren't doing the year-end recap episodes officially no, All we were back. Were we? Yeah, we yeah, we were since like 2008, I think, 2009. Okay. I feel like we were doing them the whole time. Okay. Yeah. I think so. Maybe maybe, uh, just... maybe 2011 was the first one. We we definitely have been doing it for a while. That's true. Oh, cuz well, even it, before it was... I was Skyping in, I would still go to your place and do the year-end episodes. Yeah, so it was top 5s, I think originally mm-hmm. to start and then we bumped it up to top tens, and then Yeah, around 2015, I think I pushed for top 10. <laughs> also, I'm 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 like confusing when I transferred everything into Squarespace and how I named the episodes yep. with what we actually did over time. <laughs> so yep. there are definitely, uh, yeah. It would be interesting just to go back, even if not like resurface those episodes completely, at least have like a list of the years of the top yeah. whatever. We were definitely doing it since at least 2009 because I remember Inglorious Bastards being your number one. Yeah. 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 Another war movie. <laughs> I remember The Dark Knight too. There were a lot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. We can do this long time. <laughs> <laughs> it all bleeds together now. <laughs> but yeah, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. And the next year. Oh yeah. The next decade. Over Jordan, I'm